Hello everyone, I'm Troy Dodds and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by The Western Weekender. On this podcast I'm joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and the role they've played in our city. They are Penrith stories told by Penrith people. Today my special guest is the current Mayor of Penrith City, Trisha Hitchin. Trisha had a decorated career in the police force before politics became a significant part of her life. She's got an interesting story to tell about career and life in Penrith and I really hope you enjoy our chat. Trisha, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you. Great to be here. Question we always ask to kick things off. uh, Where were you born and where did you grow up? Okay, well, I was born in Glasgow. Uh, My parents were 10-pound poms, so we came out here on a ship, I think it was about 1963, 64. Okay. uh, And uh, we lived in a migrant hostel for two years, one in Newcastle and then one at um, East Hills. And then eventually my parents saved enough money to buy a house, and they, with a five-pound deposit, they bought a house in Penrose Crescent in uh, South Penrith. Wow, okay. And at that stage, Smith Street was the last street in Penrith. Yeah. Do you remember... Coming out here on the bay, how old were you at that point? No, I think I was three and a half. Right, okay. So I, I don't even have much memory of that or for the for the migrant hostel. Um, I know it, um, my brother ended up in, in hospital with malnutrition because the food was so bad at the at the hostel. Yeah. That's a story that I remember. But I remember coming to, living in Penrose Crescent. And, and, and what was Penrith and, and South Penrith like at, at that time and, and growing up? There. Well, there, there, is, there was no South Penrith. Smith mm. Street was the last street, and then it was all farmland. Yeah, uh, I remember walking down, you know, with my brother and sister to the the milk bar in Smith Street and getting, you know, the five cent bag of lollies. Yep. I remember that. <laughs> um, playing in the streets till the street lights came on. They were mostly all migrants in our street. Yeah. So uh, we all bonded pretty well. And where did you go to school? Uh, Penrith High, Penrith Primary, Penrith yep. High. What kind of student were you? Uh, um, if you ask my, my daughter, I was a do-gooder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was still yeah, all right. I was okay. I liked school. And, and was it during school you, you started to – you went into the police force pretty much straight out of school? Straight Is that school, right? So yes. where did that interest come from? Is that a – Anything in the uh, in the family um, related no, to the police force at all? It was actually in those days you had the um, the person that used to come outside and, and interview you and tell you what they thought you'd be good at in, in yeah, school. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, and they she said to me, "You're very tall. You could be a police officer or an air hostess." Okay, <laughs> that was. <laughs> so why 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 police officer? Where did well, I think I just I was a do gooder, so yeah. uh, that that appealed to me helping people. And back then, we were still going to Goulburn for for training and things like that. Redfern, I okay. was at the Redfern yep. Police Academy. Yeah, yep. right. And so, what was that uh, that experience like going through there? Yeah, it was. Look, it was pretty good. It was the second class of women of large with a large mm. amount of women that went through. So we were still pretty much a novelty. Um, for, for yeah, what, what was that like in that era? Because obviously, it was a yeah, it was a pretty male dominated industry at, uh, at that was. point. So um, at the academy, when we passed out, um, the women were giving given five shot revolvers yeah. uh, because our delicate hands couldn't possibly hold a six <laughs> shot revolver. The uh, the guys were giving the little batons, the little nightsticks, and we were given handbags. Really? And gloves, wow. which we were expected to carry on duty at all times. Well, thankfully things, I guess, have changed. In a, did, was that something, though, at the time you thought, well, this is a bit uh, a bit wrong, or was it... We, well, look, know? there was a lot of things that were a bit wrong in those days, but yeah. if you you know, if you loved the job, and I did, you just got stuck in and did it. And you do get stationed at Penrith? Yes, um, yes. And a bit of history associated with that, too? Well, yeah. I was the second female officer stationed at Penrith. Yeah. And that was the old portable police station. Whereabouts was that? So that at was... the back of the uh, of the new police yes, station, okay, so yep, in that's yep. where the shopping centre is. Yep. So it was a portable police station there while they were building the new one. 
And what was Penrith like by this time? So what what, you, what era are we in now? Uh, that's 19, uh, um, 1980, 81. Yeah, okay. So early 80s Penrith. Um, early 80s. Probably not quite uh, out of country town mode just yet. Yeah, <laughs> still still a bit of a fibre city, still a little bit of a bogan town, but um, it was a great place to, to learn to be a police officer. What was the city like in terms of, yeah, in terms of the job, like crime levels and what was the biggest sort of problem around uh, that time? We didn't have, we look, you know, we didn't have, compared to, I mean, later on I worked at Blacktown, which yeah. was off the charts. So Penrith was still um, still a fairly quiet town. We had, you know, domestic violence, you know, petty theft, petty stealing, car thieves, that sort of crime. Mm. Do you remember your first call out in, in Penrith, what it, what it was? Uh, yeah, look, it's funny, I was talking to the Mayor of Wollongong the other day and um, he was talking about the flooding at Wallachia mm. and the flooding at Jerry's Creek Bridge, you know, on Walgoa Road. Yep. There's a little blue fibre house just near that, that bridge. And when I was speaking to him, he mentioned how that would flood it and that house would flood it. And I said to him, oh, I did my first murder there. <laughs> And and he, he looked at me like, <laughs> and, and he said, I beg your pardon. I said, yeah, I did my first murder there. The guy's name was Layback Lenny. And and he looked at me and I went, oh, no, 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 I, I was a detective. And, and there was a murder there and I was called out. Uh, and the, the, the gentleman that found his friend and he, I said to him, what's, what's your friend's name? He said, Layback Lenny. And I said, no, no, what's his, what's his full name? And he went, Layback Lenny the Lounge Lizard. <laughs> so that was that was one of the my first call outs that I remember. And of course, yeah, you mentioned that you go to Blacktown and um, I guess the, the tragedy of timing means that you are involved in one of the most high profile cases um, Western Sydney's ever seen as well in the, the Anita Cobby investigation. Yeah, I was, I was a very junior detective um, and I'd only been there a few months when, when that happened. But um, it's one of those things that as much as it was a terrible, terrible case, it was it was such a, a learning experience as, for a young detective to see how how things just turned into gear and how well. I mean, that was such a great investigation with such good outcomes. And, and I guess one that you know everyone still refers to and knows today. Uh, does it does it stick with you? Are you are you someone who those things stick with you, or you you just know it's 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 a job and and that's what you've got uh, to do? I think um, I, I think it was. It was a unique case. I mean, I spent nearly 25 years in the police force and that was the biggest investigation I ever worked on. Mm. Um, I was good friends with Debbie Wallace who who did the portrayal of Anita Cobby. Um, I've never seen the community come behind the police like that happened in, in, in that investigation. For the first, I think, two weeks, we were working nearly 24 hours a day for two weeks and people from the community were bringing in food, you know, all that sort of ringing up to see how we were going. Um, it was just an amazing time and, and um, it, it was a great learning experience. You, why did you end up in Blacktown? How did that work out, um, the, the switch from Penrith to, to Blacktown? So when you when you finish your time in general duties and apply to go into plain clothes, mm-hmm. they move you to another station, so yep. you train at a different station, so you learn different things. Yeah, was being a detective something that you'd always wanted to do? Was that part of the... the yeah, I think I, I'd spent two years in general duties and I really enjoyed it, but um, I wanted to be more involved in the, in the actual cases. I wanted to do the investigation side. Did you find challenges... In relation to um, to being a woman in that part time as well, trying to get into the detective. Yeah, look, one, um, I was the first female at Penrith, yeah. at Blacktown. I mean, who was brought in as right, a detective? Right. Okay. Um, and I remember the old boss that was there when I went to see him, and I said, "You know, good morning. I'm being transferred here," and he said, "I didn't want any women in my office, but you're here. Go over there, <laughs> sit down, shut up, and stay out of my way." Um, wow. And that was my, my welcome to Blacktown. But I must look, I, I worked really hard and, and eventually I won, won his respect and it worked out well. 
Blacktown during this time? Uh, I guess we're in the mid eighties around big, big now. Heroin town. Yeah. yeah okay. Town. Okay. So that was the biggest challenge. In, in uh, it was, it, and there were some really good crooks. Yeah. Uh, worked, lived in, worked in Blacktown. So Blacktown, we had the initial heroin um, cases, and then that moved to uh, to Cabramatta. So it was Blacktown first, and then Cabramatta mm. became the heroin capital for a while. Is there a case during your time as a detective that that sticks with you the most? Um, uh, look, there's, look, there's some funny ones. I, you know, there was a guy that um, he wanted his car burnt for the insurance, and he gave it to a mate to go and burn it. So the mate went and did an arm robbery before he burned the car. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes the crooks were just so dumb. It was, you know, it was it was a good laugh. Yeah. You know? I guess they're not. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, not uh, the brightest uh, tools in the uh, in the no, shed usually. No, yeah. yeah. Um, now. I'm just interested, before we get to the end of your uh, police career, politics in your life at all at this stage, given what happens later? Do you have a keen interest in that at that time? So, um, but when I was in year, year eleven or year twelve, must be in year twelve because I was eighteen. Uh, my mother ran for local council, yeah. um, and she encouraged me to run on a ticket with her. And I wasn't particular, uh, particularly political at all, but I did that to support her. Um, so I had that little foray when I was younger. Uh, but no, nothing. Um, I wasn't interested in politics at all. Yeah. At okay. Two thousand and four. Um, your career takes quite the turn. Uh, what happens? on that day in 2004? Uh, you talk about my retirement. Yes. yes. Uh, I had a, a knee injury. I, I, it sustained on the job. Um, I heard it again. I was at the Olympics, uh, Olympic Village as a duty officer, and I chased uh, an athlete that jumped a fence. I, I didn't catch him, of course, <laughs> but, I, but I hurt my knee a second time. And um, by 2004, I needed a knee replacement. Things were tough. Um, I had my son, Liam, who um, had severe cerebral palsy and epilepsy and a few other things, and I just wasn't managing to do mm. a lot of things well. Um, I had hoped to be a police commander, and that's what I was training for at that point, but I realised that with Liam that wasn't going to happen, and uh, I needed the surgery, so my doctor said, Trish, you need to go. Yeah, you need to okay. Go. And always interesting that you mentioned your, your son, uh, Liam, there. These kind of jobs, 12-hour shifts, different hours and whatnot, um, really difficult to be raising a family at the best of times, let alone with an injury, and, and as you mentioned, um, Liam's diagnosis of cerebral palsy as well. It's a, it's a pretty tough balance for people to, to, ju- to juggle. It was, yeah. it was. and I think as a, as a mother, um, you always say to yourself, you know, if my kids ever need me, I'm going to, I'll leave, and I had that, that moment, and I thought, I have to, I have to leave. But it actually took me three months to um, actually make up my mind and put the papers in to, to retire because I loved it. I loved being a cop. Mm. I loved I loved the work. I loved helping people, but I just couldn't do it anymore. Do you miss it? I do, but fortunately my son is a detective. Wow, and okay. My future son-in-law is now a police officer, so I, I managed to get um, some stories from yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> it stayed, stayed in the family. Yeah, yeah. Now, in uh, in two thousand and seven, of course, you run uh, for Penrith at the uh, the New South Wales election. Um, at that time, Penrith is very much a, a Labor um, stronghold, um, and, it, and it remained that way. What happened in the lead up? Why? Why? How did you become the uh, the candidate there? I. Uh as I said, my son had a disability. Um, I was struggling to get a wheelchair for him, mm-hmm. and they're state-funded. And I'd been on the waiting list for over 12 months, and I knew a lot of other people who were struggling as well. And I thought, if you know, someone who'd worked in the government for 20 years, if I couldn't find my way through the red tape, mm. then what chance do other people have? And I started knocking on the door of Jackie Kelly, who was the member for Lindsay at that stage, and complaining about the federal funding for disabilities. And at one stage, she said to me, well, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Yeah. And... And, you know, get involved in politics and do do something from the inside. 
Um, and I went, yeah, maybe, maybe. And then she said to me, you should join the Liberal Party and, you know, and see what you can do, you know, agitating from the inside. So I did. And then all of a sudden I was out running for, the, for Penrith and it was... I'd never done anything like that before. I had no idea what I was letting myself in for. I was very naive. <laughs> and it was very tough. What What was the campaign like? What Look, was it was the Work Choices campaign. Yep. So the unions had uh, had taken a set against Jackie Kelly, um, and they decided to make the state election for Penrith the test case for the unions mm. because the um, the state election was in March and the federal election I think was in the September of the same year. Yeah. So that was really tough. But also during the campaign in the October, my mother was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, um, and that was really tough. Sorry, <laughs> uh, that was really tough, and she died the day after the election. Wow. Okay. So a difficult period of your life, I guess, despite being a period that helps you grow as far as politics is concerned. Um, that election result, does that spur you on to want to do more in politics? No, or? no. <laughs> it, it, it burnt me out, it really did. I think that my mother's you know, illness and subsequent death and... Um, just, I just walked away, and it was it was a really, it was a really hard election. My family got involved. My son, I think, was about seventeen, um, and he was attacked by the unions at a couple of places mm. that he went to. And he uh, he came back and he said, "I can't do this anymore." And and I thought, you know, there has to be boundaries. You can't go after the kids of of the candidates and. So I walked away in 2007 and yeah. never again. Because it's interesting because yeah. we're recording this in the midst of a, uh, a federal election campaign um, and we see these days 24-hour news cycles and social media being a real problem, I guess, as far as, um, as, as elections are concerned and the, almost the bullying that can, can happen. But this is just prior to, I guess, the social media takeoff, but still pretty um, pretty hectic and pretty, um, pretty ferocious. It was, it, it was. And I'm not just particularly blaming the unions, but these guys came out from town and uh, I, I was at a railway station, you know, every, one morning, 7 o'clock, handing out flyers as you do. And these, a carload of union officials turned up, they came out and they just surrounded me hmm. and wouldn't let me hand out and just, you know, stood there. And wow. fortunately for me, the, the station master at Emmy Plains came out and told them to leave the station. It can be a, uh, a nasty world, but you, you do stick around because in, uh, in 2012, of course, you run for, uh, for Penrith City Council. Was that a feeling that you could potentially get more done at a, at a real local on-the-ground level through the council world? It, it was. I, uh, again, um, the council has an access committee which deals with all matters disability for Penrith, and I joined that committee in 2006 as a community member. Um, and we achieved a lot in the, in the six years that I was on there. We actually really achieved a lot, but there was a lot more to do. And again, I just thought I could probably do better if I was on the inside. Mm. Um, and that's why I ran for the East Ward in 2012. Because at, at that point, say in 2012, which is 10 years ago uh, now when we're recording this, where was Penrith at from a disability access point of view um you know was it was it something that there was a lot of work to do look there, there was i mean as i said they had achieved a lot i mean just mm. to have for a council to have that awareness that they need to actually look at the accessible side of things um, yeah. uh, it was good but still there were still other things other really important things that i thought council needed to have a look at and um and i thought just by being there on the inside i could actually make a difference so they're successful at 2012 
Yes. Yes. Um, what was that feeling like to, uh, to be successful there? And what was that campaign? I'm guessing a lot different to what you experienced well, in 2007. Well, a lot different because we weren't allowed to run as Liberals at that point. We yes, so that's, that was that so we election inter- of, uh, yes. Independence. Yeah, the independence. We ran as independence. Um, so I, was, I think I was l- lucky to get on. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was much di- much different. There was a lot of social media in back in 2012, mm. um, a different sort of campaign. But still, you know, you're still on the streets, still railway stations knocking on doors. Just touching on that, what was that issue? Because, yeah, we had all these um, even veteran Liberal councillors who couldn't run under the, the Liberal banner. What, what had happened in the lead-up that, that led to that? There had been some controversy with um, um, a member of the Liberal Party who wanted to run, um, and the, I think the Liberal Party were just um, concerned about what impact he may have if he was elected, and um, they didn't want to be associated with him. I think that was in the bottom yeah. line, that was it. So once you're on council, um, first of all, what did, what did you learn about the I guess the inside of, of local government once once you're there? Because I guess when these things happen, everyone wants to change things and everyone wants to to make a difference. But uh, the reality is often hit once you're elected. Yes, yes. Well, parking was a big issue in 2012, and one of my platforms was to have a multi-story car park in Penrith. Yeah. And here we are, 2022, and we've only just started building that mm. car park. That's some of the reality that you learn. It's a slow-moving beast. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what about um, the fact that that Penrith, I guess, has always been pretty successful when it comes to count. Like we we see all these stories of other councils and infighting, and sometimes even state governments s- stepping in. But Penrith seems to have always had this ability to work together as far as Labor, Liberal, and Independents. And that's true. That's the one of the things I found. Um, we're lucky. There's a number of councillors who've been on there for I think nearly thirty years now on both sides of, of the political spectrum, and they work together well. And I think that just whenever when you join as a new councillor, you realise that it's that it works, that it works. Um, and we all have the the same thought process that whatever is good for Penrith, we support it. And and that's what it's been like for the last ten years. You run again, of course, in, in the 2016 um, election, so um, obviously wanted to, to stay involved. You'd seen enough in that four years that didn't uh, didn't turn you off. Uh, no, local uh, and look, just helping people. I've always been yeah. someone that wanted to help, and, and I actually thought that I'd helped a lot of people. There was um, I had issues with Oxley Park, with the development in Oxley Park. I think it had been very poorly managed. Um, and parking was an issue. There was no place for the kids to play. Um, I advocated for a change in the, in the development control plan. So then any new developments had to have more parking, more, more green space. Um, that went through. I got the park in Brisbane Street because the children had nowhere to play. Mm. You know, they, they replaced 100 houses with, you know, 400 units and there was just nowhere for the kids. So things like that, you know, you think, well, I'm making a difference, I'll keep going. And the good thing is you, you do get to make a difference at that level. I've, I've said to previous councillors we've had on um, on the podcast before that, you know, there's very few levels of government or very few representatives that, you know, mobile numbers are readily available on websites and you, you I know you're very active on social as well, but... Often people complain about things, but there is a there is a way to get them uh, fixed, and at least or at least get some action taken and, and some help available. One of the uh, the major things, uh, disability wise, was um, was adult changing spaces, and they mm-hmm. were relatively new in the last sort of four or five years. 
uh, and I, I made a speech at council talk, talking about my son Liam and how you know when he was little I could change him and the baby changed places. Uh, when he was a, a, a bit bigger I could change him in the back of the car or the back seat. Yep. Um, but then as he got bigger and heavier, you know, I was changing him on toilet floors and then it got to the point where I just couldn't lift him to change him at all. And mm. other families like mine, um, it, that's a real issue, you know, where you might go out for dinner with your kids and one of them needs to go to the toilet, you just take them. Where our families, we pack up and go home. Yes. Because there's nowhere in, yeah. in Penrith where our children can actually use a, a toilet facility. And I asked council if they would consider building adult changing spaces and they built two. Hmm. And now we've changed our control plans and any public building now built in Penrith has to have an adult changing space. Yeah. And that's life changing for so many families. Yeah, absolutely. So to be able to, to achieve that, it, it, to me, it, I, I just feel so good that I'm helping other families. Absolutely. During this time, is there any thoughts of going back and having another crack at, at either state or federal? Never. That has never crossed my mind, ever. Ever. Simple as that. <laughs> twenty twenty, obviously, there was supposed to be an election, uh, but Penrith, like the rest of uh, Australia, gets caught up in the in the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, how difficult for you was it as um, as a councillor? And, and when did you become deputy mayor? What year was? Uh, I think it was um, two thousand sixteen. I think it was seventeen and yep. eighteen. I was deputy mayor. Yeah. Uh, and then again in twenty twenty one. Yeah. So you're in a pretty senior role by now as far as, you know, council is concerned. How difficult was it from a council point of view? Because most of these decisions are happening above you, uh, but affecting your, your community at its core. Well, uh, look, council are, are pretty good in what they were doing. And the main thing that we, to me, the main thing we had to do was to get food out to people that need it, get resources to people mm. that need it. Uh, and I worked with the community kitchen and, and Gay Hawthorne and developed, you know, we delivered hundreds and hundreds of food packages to schools and community groups. Um, council uh, brought local businesses together and had a resilience committee and tried to work out ways of, of helping local businesses. Uh, it, it was it was a tough time, and I lived in one of the suburbs of Concern, so we yeah. were in lockdown for you know three months, six months. Uh, I also had my son, so we kept him home for twelve weeks because mm-hmm. he, obviously someone like him can't get COVID. Yeah. So it was just difficult to try and to do your role as a councillor when you're locked in your house. So yes, it was a bit hard. And what about for the political standpoint? Obviously, the uh, the twenty twenty election gets postponed. Um, yes. I'm pretty sure there would have been a lot of Back and forth and doing and throwing about how that was all going to play out. It, it was. We, we were quite concerned, and then even in twenty one, when they were looking at the election, it was postponed from September to December. Mm. And even then, we weren't sure it was going to go ahead in December because COVID was still everywhere. And it was a quite a strange election. Of course, you uh, you're successful again, and in, in, in the twenty twenty one election, you know, which was the twenty twenty election re uh, rebooted, um, and then you be earlier this year officially elected as um, as mayor of, of Penrith. Is that something that you would you you felt you know you wanted to do around this time that it was you'd been on council, I guess, for a decade, and and there was that opportunity to step up. Look, it's it's not a job that I'd actually coveted, mainly because I had my son. Um, and I was concerned at the workload, mm. really, because it is—it's not time, daytime, weekends. But I, I felt that you know, I um, I just felt that I was ready, that I could do it. I had support from home from my husband, um, and um, my adult children were offered to help look after my son. And I just thought, if I could just do one more thing for my city yeah. before I retire, then uh, then I, I'd, I'd give it a, a, a try. And what's it been like in the uh, in the role of the first uh, the first few months? I mean, I guess none of us 
fully understand what it's like to be the, the mayor of a, of a city. So, uh, yeah, what's it like? Well, the first two weeks I had the floods. Yes. I was, you know, um, I'm not big on media and um, all of a sudden I'm on Channel 7 Sunrise <laughs> doing, doing flood reports, you know, two and three times. And uh, so that was, a, that was a bit strange for me. But look, it, it's, a, it's a great position to have. I get to go to so many community events and meet so many groups and I, I love doing that. Um, I get phone calls day and night, which, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's not the best thing. Uh, but I, um, I, I'm really enjoying it and, and Penrith's such a great city and there's so much happening in Penrith at the moment. It's, mm. it's a great time to be mayor. We have so many big projects that will come online this, in this year that I'm so excited about. When you look back, I guess, to the early 1980s and what Penrith was like uh, back then, and we fast forward almost, what, 40 years, um, Penrith obviously now faces this this big issue of still wanting to retain some of its, um, I guess, country feel and rural feel and, and whatnot, but also it is a growing city with a population that it needs to look after. How difficult is that from a council point of view? Because you know that the blame game often gets you know shifted to council about you approve this building and you're taking away this and, and whatnot. It's a, it's a difficult balance, I imagine. Look, it is, and, and I meet a lot of older people who are very unhappy with the development of Penrith, but to me it's about getting jobs. And, you mm. know, to get jobs, you have to get businesses, you have to have development. It's about your kids. I mean, I want my children to live near me. I want my grandchildren to live near me. Um, and the only way you can do that is to build more. Yeah. I don't want them to have to go and to live in another suburb because there's no housing available for them. Well, I remember growing up too in, in 1990s Penrith and, and everyone would say, oh, if only we had what Parramatta has or only we had what the city has. Well, you can't have those things without bigger populations. You know, you can't have all these new restaurants and all these new, you know, entertainment facilities and things like that if you don't have... Uh, the population to support it. So. Well, back in the eighties, I think we had a couple of fish and chips restaurants yeah. and, and, a, and a Chinese and maybe and the beef and barramundi out yeah, there. Yeah, on yeah, the, yeah. Beef, yeah, but there was nothing else in Penrith. I mean, I, I, when I grew up, Penrith was a really boring place to be. Um, you had to go to the city to work. So, mm. so many of my um, fellow colleagues from school were all travelling on the train to the city. There were no really restaurants out here. The Pan- I think Panthers and the RSL were the two clubs. Uh, there was no social life mm. at all. Um, so, you know, you look at it today, we have so many restaurants and cafes and bars and um, so many entertainment options. And, you know, but there wasn't even a movie theatre. I think my, uh, the Hayden was there for a little while yeah. and then it left. We didn't even have the movies to go to. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, obviously, yeah, it, it comes with the uh, the territory, uh, the, the development and whatnot. What about um, things like High Street and, uh, and even Queen Street and St Mary's? You've been a a big advocate for those sort of revitalising, but particularly that eastern part of the city. Do you feel that there has been, um, I guess, a bit of neglect and a bit too much focus on the Penrith side of the city, more so than um, than that eastern area of St Mary's and, and whatnot? I, look, I really do. And I think um, for St Mary's for so long, it's been a waiting game that, that, that the metro is coming, this is coming, this is coming, St Mary's is going to explode, and people were just waiting. And, and by people, I'm in council. Hmm. Where they just seemed like they were just waiting for it to happen before they would do anything. You, you know, and I just at the, at the last term of council, I spoke about Penrith has Regatta Park, um, it has the city park, um, a tench reserve, you know, the Soper Place car park, all these big developments in Penrith, mm. and St Mary's has nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. So the first thing I asked for as mayor was uh, a city park in St Mary's because there really isn't a place for the community to meet. Um, I've asked for some some planning around Queen Street about the development in Queen Street because when the metro does hit, it has to be master planned. Yeah, it has to be sustainable growth. Uh, and so I've really pushed St Mary's in the last four months that I've been mayor. That's been my priority. 
Yes, I guess when you we, we run a lot of uh, flashback things and whatnot on on the weekender uh, socials and in print as well, and you look at some of those photos of St Mary's in the particularly in like the late eighties, and you see such a very vibrant Queen Street, a lot of big events that were happening in in St Mary's. So, unfortunately, there has been a decline there uh, over the years, and it probably gets away from everyone at some point, and then it's too late, and then a lot of work needs to be done. It's true. I mean, the Spring Festival was always the biggest mm. event, and we haven't had that for three years. Two for COVID and one for weather. So I'm really hoping we have the Spring Festival this yeah. year because that does bring the people out. We've got some development in, in Queen Street at the moment. We've got the little Marigold building. Um, there's a new development where the old bowling club used to be. a mm-hmm. building some apartments there. Um, there's a lot of uh, affordable housing being built on, on the um, western, on the eastern side of Queen Street. So the population's coming into the CBD, and, and I'm hoping that will bring a refresh of the businesses that we have there. What do you see Penrith looking like in, in 10, 15 years' time? All these projects are obviously underway now. They'll be, they'll be done. Um, where, where do you think the city is, is headed? And I guess at some point it needs to cap out as far as the, um, the, the development is concerned as well. This is only so much you can do. That, that's true. Um, and we do have so, um, a few more developments happening in the CBD, but because of flooding issues, uh, we're capped on how many um, residences we actually can have in Queen Street. Uh, sorry, in, in, uh, in this Penrith CBD. Yeah. And we're almost at that limit now. Um, the big thing, the big change will be the airport. And I think mm. um, that will bring, hopefully it'll bring jobs. It'll bring new investment into the city. Um, there'll have to be some, some more accommodation because people will want to live here to get to the airport. I just, you know, when I look back at, at Penrith 10 years ago before Thornton, Yep. You know, and you look at that side and think, wow. And now you think, well, what's going to happen over this side? It's just, you know, the $30 million upgrade to Rata Park is just going mm. to make that a huge focal point. And then the Gyp Street Sporting Complex in, in um, at Claremont Meadows, that will be a, a regional, if not a state facility. Yeah. So it's just going to be such a great place to be. I've written a few times. I feel like people don't, residents here, I guess it's sometimes it's the whole thing of, you know, you don't know what's in your own city. You know, there's plenty of people, I guess, who who have never done the Harbour Bridge climb and all the all these sort of things that, that every tourist would do straight away. When you actually sit down and go through, well, here's all the things in Penrith and here's what's underway, um, it's, you know, I think it's probably pretty undervalued. Would you consider that by a lot of residents that are actually here and living it? I, I do. I, know, I mean, the Regatta Park, is it's a $30 million investment on the river. Um, and we've had the... At, We've had our community consultation. We've had the maps go out, but I don't think people understand exactly what's going to be at Regatta Park. Mm. Um, and then the boardwalks all along the riverfront and um, a play equipment for the kids, some sporting fields, some amenities, toilets, cafes, restaurants. You know, that's going to be such a huge draw card to yeah. be with. And then on Tench Reserve, there's a $5 million uh, upgrade to the Tench Reserve side of the river as well with um, the amphitheatre seating and new playground equipment and adult changing spaces and I mean the river's just going to buzz it really mm. is and then when the orchard the development there when that comes online the, that's the, the east that riverbank is is just going to be such a tourist hub you mentioned um the r word a little bit earlier retirement, retirement. um does that mean where, where are you at as far as an election that will be held in 2024 um guys uh, yeah I'm not sure I'm going to I don't think I'll run again I'm not sure I um, my, my son's getting older and I really need to spend more time with him and um, my husband's at, almost at retirement point so yeah. um, I, I think this will probably be my last term. Do you think that Penrith would remain home? Is, uh, oh yes. Yeah? Uh, done done for... Uh, 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 you know, yeah. <laughs> Penrith's my town, I'm not leaving. 
Yeah, that's awesome. What What about um, as far as the future is concerned politically? Um, where, where do you see things? I mean, we've you know, as I mentioned earlier, in the midst of a federal election campaign at the moment with um, independents, minor parties, really, you know, whatever. Council never, you know, there's been a few minor parties at times, and the Greens councillor here and there. But um, but you're starting to see a shift where people are a little bit sceptical of the major parties. Do you think that there needs to be some? I guess some some overall change there um, with, with major parties, and and have you found difficulties? I guess when it comes to minor parties being on council, um, I look, I don't. I mean, I know a lot of people say that there shouldn't be politics in local council, mm. and I understand that. But how do you get yourself elected if no one knows who you are? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the other issue. And how can you afford? I mean, an election as a councillor, we pay. Even though I'm from a liberal the liberal party, I pay my own council election. Yeah, I pay my own fees, and you'd spend easily between ten and twelve thousand dollars on an election. There's mm. not many people that can afford to to do that. Um, and then when people go to a polling booth, they look for a name that they know. Yeah. And if you know when you if you're an individual on your own, it's very difficult to get that sort of recognition across forty thousand people. Mm. So, and I think Penrith does well with having the two major parties. We, we do well. Uh, I don't think we miss out on much. Um, it was interesting in the for the twenty twenty one election. There was all this talk about you know don't vote for the major parties or not, but. When it comes to polling day, the vast majority of people do, and I guess that they feel that, that there is a bit of safety in, in the, the two major parties as well. And, and I think the fact that Penrith's doing really well, I think mm. if, if Penrith wasn't achieving the way that it was, people might look outside the box for something different. But at this stage, they're happy. At state and federal level, I think the rise of the independents, um, it's easy to become disenfranchised with, with the major parties because they're easy to, to point the finger at. The problem with, with independents, particularly at a state or federal level, is they're usually just one. They have mm-hmm. one cause. Yeah. And when you have someone with, someone with a single issue, it doesn't actually make them the best one for your city if they've only got one issue that they, that they care about. As uh, as mayor now, you uh, you're, you're obviously in charge of the classroom and the uh, the Monday night at um, at, at council. How, how's that side of the job been uh, going for you? Yeah, it, look, it's robust. It's robust. <laughs> um, I've sat through some pretty bad council meetings, so I was actually a little bit frightened about what was going to happen. <laughs> but uh, it's 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 okay. It, it's working well. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, and we don't always agree. But you just have to manage the debate. I guess one other thing as well is you talked about you know the the eighties and um, and the difficulties for uh, females in the police force, but uh, but council obviously has a has a great history now of um, of women in leadership and and you've continued that. But um, Karen McEwen, obviously recent mayor as well, and and um, other women who've who've led Penrith as well. Penrith's taken a pretty good step in in that regard as far as council's concerned. It is, and look, it's it's a very equitable workplace. Council itself is is an equitable place, um, and I know they've won several awards for their gender. And their diversity policies mm. uh, but yeah so we hold our own you have to be you know be able to stand on your feet but we hold our own 100 percent. last question the question we always finish with how would trisha hitchin like to be remembered in penrith uh well someone who loved penrith for a start and uh and i think i think my work in disabilities and accessibility and my work in in oxley park to try and make that a better place for the people to live i'm hoping that's what i'll be remembered for Well, Trisha Hitchin, thank you very much for uh, joining us on The Record. And thank you for having me. And I hope you enjoyed our chat. On The Record is produced by The Western Weekender to hear future episodes. Search Western Weekender wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you hit subscribe. Check out westernweekender.com.au and we will see you next time.